continuing in First Thessalonians. Start in chapter 2 this evening. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 6. Starting in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts, for neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Uh, so we'll be covering these verses tonight. Uh, starting in verse 1, he says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. So if you recall last week, uh, we talked about the Thessalonians and their faith and how the gospel was proclaimed from them uh, that when Paul would meet people, he would not have to tell them about faith that happened in Thessalonica because people had already heard, right? And so that's what he's uh, coming off of here. He says, for yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, right? You yourselves know what our entrance was unto you. Uh, so what Paul is dealing with in this section would be uh, his motive, right, and how they behaved themselves uh, here amongst the Thessalonians, right? He's calling to remembrance uh, the situation and character with which they came and how they behaved themselves there. Uh, but he says, our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. Uh, so there was fruit there in their ministry, right? Paul going to Thessalonica was not in vain because you had people there uh, that believed, in contrast, you look at Titus 1, 10 through 11. Paul says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Uh, so you see there, there are many unruly and vain talkers, right? And then he says, especially they of the circumcision, right? So especially in Paul's day, you think about when he was at Thessalonica, it was the Jews that opposed him, right? There was many vain talkers amongst the circumcision because they were going around saying, Paul's wrong, you have to be circumcised if you want to be saved, right? And you have to do these certain things if you want to be saved. Uh, and there in Titus, he says they were doing it for filthy lucre's sake, right? To gain money. Right? They were looking to profit from the Greeks there, right? having them come into their synagogues and things like that. Um, so there was many vain talkers. Right? But Paul says, our ministry among you was not in vain. Right? And we'll see here it's because they preached the gospel, right? the gospel of God. You look at Ephesians. Sorry, Titus 3 9 as well. You can go to Ephesians though, Ephesians 5 6. Titus 3 9, he also says, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. 
All right, so again, Paul says, Our ministry amongst you was not in vain because they did not cover things like foolish questions and genealogies uh, and strivings about the law. Right? Paul came preaching the gospel. Okay? Uh, in Ephesians 5, 6, he says, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Right? And that word vain, right, it means emptiness. Right? Empty words. Uh, unfortunately, in a lot of churches today, you have people that speak for hours, but their words are vain. They're empty, right? Because it's not about the Word of God, right? Or it's not founded on sound doctrine, or it's not the right gospel, right? These words are vain. If a pastor gets up and teaches you have to be baptized to be saved, or you have to do this step, this step, this step, you have to take the Eucharist, right? If you want to be saved, these are vain words, right? Uh, and the wrath of God is going to come upon those people. Because they're speaking lies, right? They're vain, deceitful teachers. Uh, so Paul does a lot with that in his epistles with people that are false teachers. Uh, and their ministry is vain, right? There's no profit to it. It's empty because it's not sounded on the gospel or true doctrine. He tells the Philippians in Philippians 2 to do all things without murmuring and dispute, uh, disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. All right, so Paul says he didn't want to run in vain or labor in vain for the Philippians, and that would be manifest by them uh, behaving themselves this way and also holding forth the word of life, right? because that's the fruit of Paul's ministry seen at work in other people. Uh, and we'll see in Philippians 2, that's what was happening with the Thessalonians. Right, so he says, Our entrance in unto you, uh, it was not in vain, right? because there was fruit there among the Thessalonians. They had believed the word of God, and it was working in them. Uh, but he says, You know our entrance in unto you, it was not in vain, even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. So if you go back to Acts 16, the chapter before, uh, Paul goes to Thessalonica. He is in Philippi. So you can read about this uh, shameful uh, entreating, this suffering that Paul faced at Philippi. If you look at verse 16, it says, It came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers, and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men be Jews, these men being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, and teach customs were not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid, them stripe, laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. All right, so this is the shameful suffering, the shameful entreating that Paul and Silas faced at Philippi. All right, so you see they go and they're preaching the gospel. And this woman, who is a 
possess, right? She's a soothsayer. She makes her masters much money, right? They're using her possession to make money off of her. And she's following Paul, saying these are uh, men of the true God. And Paul gets tired of it. He says, depart from her, right? He casts the spirit out. And now these owners of this woman, right, are mad at Paul because he just took away their profit, right, their money source. Uh, so they go around starting to make trouble, saying these men being Jews are teaching us things that we can't observe being Romans. Uh, they falsely accuse them, so they're beat and thrown in jail. Right? So this is the suffering that Paul and them faced at Philippi. Uh, also in 2 Corinthians 11, so this would have been after Thessalonians, but still shows the suffering and shameful entreating that Paul endured throughout his ministry. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23-24, he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Uh, so he says, of the Jews... Five times received I forty stripes, save one, so thirty nine whippings. What well, we just read it in Acts sixteen, he was whipped by the Romans. So this is just of Jews that he was whipped uh, five times here. Uh, so you can see Paul, right? He suffered. He was shamefully treated all throughout his ministry. Uh, and here specifically, uh, he's talking about there at Philippi in Acts sixteen because that's where he had just come from when he came to Thessalonica. So he says, you know how we were treated at Philippi, right, when we were coming to you, that's what we were coming from, and yet we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Uh, so again, the courage and boldness of Paul and Silas coming from that, right, coming from being beat and cast in prison and falsely accused, going to a new city and instead of saying, well, you know, let's calm it down this time, let's kind of be sneaky about how we're going to talk to people, he said we were bold. Right? And you read in uh, first, uh, Acts 17, they come to the city, and as Paul's manner was, he went into the synagogue right, and preached to the Jews. So he just kept going about his business as if nothing happened. Right? He had boldness in God uh, speaking the gospel. And it's important to note that uh, he wasn't just bold in his own wisdom right, or in his own strength. He says we were bold in our God. Uh, our boldness should be in Christ not in ourselves, not in our flesh. In Ephesians 3, 12 through 13, it says, In whom we have boldness, speaking of Christ, and access with confidence by the faith of him, wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. All right, so even for the Ephesians, Paul went through tribulations for them, but he says, we have boldness through Christ, right, and access uh, by faith of him, right? That's where Paul's boldness came from. It came from Christ, right, his boldness in Christ. Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, interesting, you see Paul show boldness throughout his ministry, but here he's asking for prayer that he would be bold to preach the gospel. Uh, he says in verse 19, and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. 
Right, so this is a later epistle in Paul's ministry. You see how he acts among the Thessalonians, right? He says, we were bold in our God to you. Uh, you see it all throughout his ministry. And yet here in Ephesians, he's praying, you know, pray for me that I would be bold and speak as I ought to uh, the mystery of the gospel. Uh, so again, we should take from that as well. We should have boldness in Christ, right? That is our life is Christ, right? Think about your hope is in Christ. Um, if you're just scared of pers persecution, well, you're going to die anyway, whether you live a easy life or a hard life. Right? What matters is what you did with that life and what comes after. Right? So we need to be bold in Christ speaking the gospel. And so we have Paul here as an example, uh, Paul and Silas here at Thessalonica. Um, if you remember in Acts 16 as well, Verse 9 and 10, it was God that told Paul to go to Macedonia and preach the gospel. All right, so that's part of the reason, too, why he's bold in God, because God told him to go. Uh, it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man in Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. All right, so Paul was called of God to go to Macedonia, right, in a vision. Uh, so he goes there, and he is bold uh, to preach the gospel. Uh, he says, uh, we preached it with much contention. Uh, so we've gone over Acts 17, 1 through 10, but we'll read it here again. Uh, again, when they were at Thessalonica, they just came from Philippi, where they suffered and were shamefully entreated, and they come to Thessalonica, bold to preach the gospel, but it's still with much contention, meaning there's much opposition there. Uh, and you see in verse 5, uh, But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. All right, so this is the contention they're facing there at Thessalonica, are these Jews that didn't believe, and they're trying to set the people in an uproar. Right? They're trying to... Uh, have an assault of Paul and Silas, and so they assault the house of Jason to try to bring them out. Uh, so again, just came from Philippi, being beat, being cast in prison, and now he's facing contention at Thessalonica, but yet he is still bold in preaching the gospel. So he's calling to remembrance to the Thessalonians, right, how he entered into them, or how they entered in to Thessalonica, right, where they came from, and how they behaved when they were there. They were bold to speak the gospel unto them. Uh, he says, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Right, so not only were they bold, but they were straightforward. Okay, they didn't come preaching with deceit, or uncleanness, or guile. Uh, again, all throughout Paul's ministry, this is how he behaved. You look at 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 1 through 2. He says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestations of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Right, so here he says, They renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. Not walking in craftiness, right? Not being slight, right? Not being slight of hand, trying to beat around the bush or 
uh, be crafty. Uh, they weren't handling the word of God deceitfully, right? So they weren't trying to deceive anyone uh, with how they preach, right? They spoke plainly. In 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, that is what he says. Sorry, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. he's talking about the uh, workers of Satan. He says, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Right, so you see the contrast there. Paul says, We didn't walk dishonestly. Right, we forsook those things. We weren't crafty. Uh, we didn't speak in deceit. But those who are the ministers of Satan, they are false apostles, deceitful workers, right, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. So they look like they're apostles, but they're deceitful. Okay? So you have that contrast between Paul and those who would be ministers of Satan. Uh, but the three here that he gives, he said, we were not uh, of deceit. Our exhortation was not of deceit, uncleanness, or guile. So let's just define these real quick, because a lot of people will say guile means deceit. Uh, but you see it here, where both words are used, deceit and guile. Uh, there was another passage that also uses the words in the same passage, deceit and guile. Um, so if they mean the same thing, why not just say deceit once and uncleanness? Or say deceit, uncleanness, and deceit. Right? That wouldn't make much sense. So they must be different. Uh, and from what I can tell, there is a little bit of a difference. Um, deceit here meant error or that which leads to error, deceit or fraud. Um, and so when reading this, what I take from this is deceit means error. So it's not that you're trying to deceive someone. You're not coming to them with deceit to deceive them, but you yourself are deceived. So you may be sincere about what you're saying, but you're deceived, right? So you're coming in deceit, not even knowing it, right? So you're coming in error or that which leads to fraud uh, because it's wrong. Okay, so that's what he's saying here. We didn't come in deceit. We didn't come in error not knowing what we were talking about, right? Not coming with some new doctrine, right? The, the doctrine that Paul received was from God. Uh, so they didn't come with deceit or they didn't come with error. Uh, they didn't come with uncleanness, which means the impurity of lustful, uh, luxurious, uh, profligate living or impure motives. Uh, so he's not coming to try to gain something from them, right? He's not coming for, as the Bible says, to gain filthy lucre, right? For filthy lucre's sake. Uh, and then he didn't come in guile. So guile does mean deceit. Uh, it means subtility, right? Uh, subtlety, sorry, or craft, right? So that's that being sneaky, that deceitful. You word something a certain way to make it sound good. It's not really what you're trying to say, right? To try to get people to come to your church. Right? That's not what Paul did. He was straightforward. What he taught was true. It wasn't an error. Uh, and he wasn't doing it for any personal gains, right? That's the summary here. Uh, it is interesting if you look at 2 Corinthians 12, 16. Paul here says, But be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Uh, and so here he says, I caught you with guile, speaking to the Corinthians. We have to read the context. He's being sarcastic here is what I believe. Because the book of Corinthians, he was accused of 
trying to be deceitful and gain from them. Because in this section, he's dealing with offerings for the poor saints at Jerusalem. And he had sent Timothy, or it was Titus, one of them to, it's Titus here, to go to collect the money. And so they were accusing him of sending Titus to get the money to take it back to Paul so that Paul can make a gain of them, right? When he was among them, he acted as if, oh, you know, I don't own nothing. You know, I'm here to serve you, to minister to you. But then he leaves, and then he's having Titus go back and get the money to bring back to him is what he was being accused of. Um, and you know he's not serious here because he says, did I make a gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? Right, he's asking these questions. I desire Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walk we not in the same spirit? Walk we not in the same uh, steps? Again, thank ye that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. Uh, so we'll look at this a little more later, but he's being sarcastic here. Okay, he didn't really catch them with guile. Right? He wasn't really deceitful of the Corinthians. Uh, he's being accused of doing that, and so he's making a defense of himself. And so he does ask the questions, anybody that I sent to you, did they make a gain of you? Right, and the answer, of course, is no. Uh, but I just thought that was interesting and wanted to cover that, and we'll cover a little more uh, here because it fits along with uh, a verse later on. Uh, but let somebody see that, and they say, well, Paul, he did use God. Right, and some people might would teach, well, it's okay to be a little beat around the bush and use a little deceit as long as you get people to do the right thing. Right? That's what they would have accused Paul here of. Uh, that's not what Paul is saying. Right? It's never, uh, what do they say, it's never a wrong to the means. How's that saying go? You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. The means. Two. Two wrongs don't make a right. It's that one, but there's something uh, that's good to use. I can't think of it now. <laughs> Uh, but you look at Philippians 3, 7 through 8, what did Paul say? He was a Hebrew among Hebrews, right? He was blameless in his religion, but he counted all those things as loss, right? He counted his gains as loss, so why is he going to be trying to get a gain of the Corinthians in deceit, right? He could have had all that if he had stayed in Jerusalem, right? Um, and so Paul was not one to try to make gains of himself, right? He never did that in his ministry. Uh, so I wanted to cover that. Uh, he didn't come to them. His exhortation was not of deceit, uncleanness, or guile. Uh, he says, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. So you see there, to be in put in trust with the gospel. So you should know by now that Paul was the first one given the gospel of the grace of God, right? Given the mystery of Christ, the doctrine for the body of Christ, right? He was the one given that. First uh, Corinthians nine seventeen. he says, A dispensation of the gospel was committed unto him. He says, For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Galatians 2, 7. Says, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. Right, so he has a, a dispensation of the gospel committed unto him. The gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto him. 
Look at 1 Timothy 1.11. Says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. All right, so you have a dispensation of the gospel, the gospel of uh, uncircumcision, the glorious gospel. Then you look at Titus 1, verse 2 through 3. He says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So here you have the hope of eternal life, right? Through the preaching of the word of God is committed unto Paul. Right, that's the gospel that was committed, is the hope of eternal life, which is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right, so very clear, the gospel was committed to Paul. Right, it was put in his trust. And he says it here in Thessalonians. Uh, as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Uh, not pleasing men, but God. Right, so again, he didn't... He didn't take on his ministry to please men, which should be evident when you read through the events that he went through, right? The suffering and things that he went through. Um, I wouldn't go through any of that just to please some men, right? Um, and so you see that in his life. He says here in Galatians 1, 9 through 12, As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and so he's certified in the Galatians here that his gospel is from Jesus Christ. Right? He says, do I seek to please men? The answer is no. He says, I didn't receive this from a man. Right, so what man am I trying to please when I didn't even receive this message from a man? I received it direct from Jesus Christ. Right, and that's whose servant I am. That's who I'm trying to please. <clears throat> and so I want to cover this issue because if you look at 1 Corinthians 10, so Paul says, we're not doing this to please men, right, but to please God. So look at 1 Corinthians 10, 32-33, he says, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things. All right, well, I thought you didn't please men, Paul. All right, but here he says, Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. All right, and that end goal is, or that end phrase is the key, that they may be saved. So he's not saying here that, I should do whatever I can to please anybody in hopes that they get saved. Uh, what he's saying here is 1 Corinthians 9, 22, where he says, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak, I made all and made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Right? And he says, To the Jews became I as Jews, to those that aren't under the law, as to those that aren't under the law. <coughs> he's not talking about pleasing every person in every little thing so that they can be saved. Um, it was a specific context, right? If you're without law, then I'm going to be without law with you because I'm not under the law, right? But if you're a Jew who's keeping the law, then I'm going to not offend you and 
keep the law in front of you so that I can minister to you. Right? So he's not trying to please the man. He's trying to not trip them up, right? not be a stumbling block so that they can be saved. Right? That's his end goal. Um, so the point being, you don't go and get drunk with the drunks so that you can please them and hope they get saved. Right? You don't go and sin just so you can please somebody. Uh, and so we wanted to cover that because Paul does say, as I please all men. Right, but you have to understand the context. It's in the context of 1 Corinthians 9 at the end of the chapter where he's talking about those under the law, those not under the law, those who are weak, those who are strong. Right? He would try to minister to those people so that they would be saved. Uh, Romans 15.2, he gives instruction. Here he says, Let every one of us please his neighbor. But it's for his good to edification. Right? And it's not edification if your neighbor is doing something wrong and you say, oh yeah, well, here's $50, go do some more. Right? That's not edification. You please your neighbor temporarily, right? But it wasn't for his good to edification. That's the point. Right? You're pleasing them or you're not causing them to stumble. You're not offending them is what that means. Right? But it's for their edification. If you're not edifying them, then you're doing it wrong, okay? Uh, so just want to deal with that because Paul does say he pleases men, whereas here in Thessalonians he says he wasn't doing it to please men. You have to understand the difference of what he's saying in those two different passages. Uh, so back to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, but he says we did it to please God who tries our hearts or who trieth our hearts. Uh, and he's quoting, I believe, from Proverbs 17, verse 3. It says, The refining pot is for silver, and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. Right, it's the Lord who tries the hearts. It's the Lord who knows the hearts. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15 Paul here dealing with the judgment seat of Christ. But that's who you're going to stand before. So why are you trying to please men when you're not going to stand before men? You're going to stand before Jesus Christ. That's who you need to be pleasing. He says, Now if any man build upon his foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Right? So your work will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, he says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise to God. Or praise of God. But it's God who will make manifest what was in your heart, right? Which gets to the motive of why you do things. Right? That's what Paul's dealing with here was their motive among the Thessalonican, right? Among the Thessalonians, right? They weren't doing it out of deceit or uncleanness or guile. They weren't doing it to get a gain, right? They weren't doing it to please a man. They did it to please God because he had put them in trust with the gospel. Uh, verse 5, 
It says, For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. So continuing on with how uh, they behaved among them, uh, at no time did they use flattering words. So similar to they didn't use deceit, Look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 through 5. He says, And my brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech, right? Not with flattering words, not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power of and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. All right. So same thing there in First Thessalonians. He didn't come with flattering words, with enticing words, with excellency of speech, right? Because he didn't want their faith to be in his wisdom, right? And that's what happens sometimes with these theologians, right, and these um, academics who can maybe explain things very well, and they give you all these reasons for what they're trying to say, uh, but then your faith is in them. Because 10 years later, they come and say, well, actually, I was wrong on that, and here's the new science, and this is what is accurate now. Are you going to believe what they said? Right? Because now you just changed what you believe. And so where's your foundation? Right? Where's your faith? It's in the wisdom of man. Right? It's in the excellency of speech, those who speak well and sound like they know what they're talking about. Right? That's why your foundation needs to be the Word of God. Uh, and that's very much specific to uh, the Bible debate, right? Um, Greek and Hebrew. People get up and talk about, well, in Greek and the Hebrew it says this, and this word means that, right? And these manuscripts say this, and these are the oldest manuscripts, therefore they're the best. But then they find a new manuscript that they think is older, and so it changes what they believe. Right? And so your faith is in man, it's not in God. Right? It's in those who are speaking well, uh, it's not in the power of God. It's not in Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.17. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 2.17. He says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity... But as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Right? So he speaks not with flattering words, not with enticing words, and he speaks with sincerity. Right? He speaks plainly. He speaks with sincerity. Uh, chapter 3, verse 12. Seeing then we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Right? Plainness of speech. Right? Make it clear what you're saying. Okay, you don't have to use enticing words. You just use the words that the Bible gave you. Right? Christ died for your sins and resurrected that you can have eternal life. Simple, right? Uh, so Paul says that's how they spoke, right? With plain words, out of sincerity, uh, not uh, using flattery. flattery. Uh, he says God is his witness. He says this uh, quite a bit throughout his ministry. Uh, and God is his witness because God is the one that tries the hearts, right? He knows what Paul's motive was. He knows what Paul's heart was. He says in Romans 1, 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. As you see there, he uses it, God is my witness. Galatians 1, 20, 
It says, Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Right? It says, I lie not, and it's before God, because God knows my heart. Right? He knows that the things that I'm writing are true. Philippians 1.8, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Right? God is my witness. Uh, before God, I lie not. God is my record. Uh, so he uses that quite a bit throughout his ministry. Right? God is my witness. Right? And that's a good witness to have. Uh, that's how you avoid what others think about you when you know you're doing things out of a sincere heart. Right? And doing things for the right reason. Uh, and you're speaking plainly what the Bible says. Right? God is your witness uh, for the motives that you do it. Because he is the one that tries the heart. So continuing on with this motive here, he says, Nor of men sought we glory. Right? So he wasn't doing it for glory. Uh, Paul wasn't a glory seeker. Uh, he says in Galatians 6.14, uh, saved in the cross of Christ, I glory. Right? Uh, that alone is what he says he glories in, is in the cross of Christ. So he says, Nor men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome uh, as the apostles of Christ. So he says when we might have been burdensome, that literally means to put a weight on someone. Right? Uh, and if you look at that word burdensome, he uses it in Corinthians quite a bit, talking about getting money from the Corinthians. Right? And so he says we weren't burdensome to you. Right? In other words, again, we didn't come with deceit or guile. We didn't come with uncleanness right, to get uh, lustful, luxurious living from you. Um, we weren't burdensome to you. Uh, so very much a relation there to not uh, gaining money from the Thessalonians. If you look at 2 Corinthians 11, verse 7 through 10. So again, this is in the context of what we covered earlier in 2 Corinthians 12, 16, where he says, I caught you with guile. He's being sarcastic. Um, it's in this context. Because he says, Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye may be exalted? Because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely. I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. When I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man, for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia, supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the region of Achaia. So again, if you remember our map from the introduction, you have Philippi and Thessalonica, which was a little lower than that, which was in Macedonia, and then below that is Achaia, which is where Corinth is at. So Paul says, in the whole region of Achaia, the regions of Achaia, um, I didn't charge no man, right? I was burdensome to no one. Uh, and he's kind of rebuking them here because he says, did I do something wrong to you because I preached the gospel of God to you freely, right? Free of charge? He says, I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. In other words, other churches were supporting Paul, giving him uh, his needs, meeting his needs, so that he could minister to the Corinth and them not have to take care of him. Right? He says, even when I wanted, right? even when I was lacking, even when I had needs, I didn't get nothing from you. 
because those from Macedonia came and supplied my need. All right, so you see he's kind of rebuking them here. Uh, you look at chapter 12, verse 13 through 14. He says, For what is it that wherein we were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you, for the children ought not to lay it for the parents, but the parents for the children. So again, you see his rebuke. He says, uh, were we inferior to other churches because I was not burdensome unto you? Forgive me this wrong. All right. Sorry that I didn't charge you when I came to you. All right. He's kind of being sarcastic here in this context. Uh, and he says, behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you and not be burdensome to you. All right. So a third time he's going to come to them. And he's not going to take nothing from them. Right? Again, because he had these accusations of being deceitful about trying to get the money. Um, and so he did not pressure them by coming in glory of their apostleship. So this is the other side of the being burdensome. Uh, he says, we were not burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Right? So they didn't get any financial gain. Uh, but they also weren't glorying in their apostleship, trying to make... Thessalonians feel intimidated, right? Because that's a burden. Uh, these are the apostles of Christ. Let's make sure we do a big uh, party for them, right? Or, or feel intimidated by them. Uh, so if you look at 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 13, uh, they weren't burdensome as the apostles of Christ, which gave them the right to be burdensome. Uh, this is something that Paul does teach, that those who minister do have a right to uh, reap carnal things if they're ministering spiritual. Uh, he says this in 2 Corinthians, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1 through 13. He says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yea, doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. My answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord, and Cephas? For I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working. Who goeth the warfare any time to his own charge? Who planteth a vineyard, and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock, and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for the oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. All right, so you see here what he's saying. He says, my answer to those who examine me. So again, you see that people are examining Paul and how he dealt with this situation. Uh, but he says, does anyone go to war at his own expense? Well, no, the country pays for it. Uh, you're doing a service to your country, therefore they pay for you to go to war, Right? Uh, does anyone plant a vineyard and then say, well, I'm not going to eat because I'm the one that worked to plant that tree, so I guess I shouldn't eat from it. 
That doesn't make sense, right? You plant the garden and the orchard so you can eat the fruit. Uh, and so that's what he's saying here. I ministered to you, right? I gave you the gospel. Is it a great thing that because I minister to you spiritual things that I reap your carnal things, right? So that's what he's saying here. He's saying I have a right to ask money of you or food or ask you to meet my, my needs, right? I have a right to do that because I ministered to you. Uh, he says the same thing in 1 Timothy 5 or something similar in 1 Timothy 5. Verse 17 through 18. He says, Let the elders that rule well be kind of worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that, leadeth, uh, that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. All right? So that being worthy of a double honor means uh, you should take care of the person ministering. Right? The elders that are ruling well. Right? It's not just because they're an elder and they're a preacher. It's that they do it well, right? Meaning they do it according to right doctrine. Um, so you see that in Paul's epistles where he does teach that you should take care of those doing ministry, right? They have needs, you should meet them. Uh, and so he says we had that right as apostles to do that, but yet we didn't do it, right? We weren't burdensome to you. Uh, and Paul did it specifically so he wouldn't be accused of doing things for personal gain. Uh, and so he says they weren't burdensome as the apostles of Christ. So we're dealing with that, uh, that phrase, apostles of Christ. So this is where you get the idea that there's more than just the 12 apostles and Paul, right, in your Bible. Uh, here you have Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And he says we were the apostles, plural, right? So that's two more than the 12 and Paul, right? So that makes it 15 apostles in the Bible. Um, so these apostles would be apostles in Ephesians 3.5, right? Because this is some of the argument you'll get when you talk about right division. And Paul was the first to get the mystery, right? And he was the first one given the gospel of grace of God, right? This dispensation of grace, which we covered verses where that's clear. It was committed unto me, right? Unto me, Paul. Um, but you have here in Ephesians 3.5 where he's talking about if you have heard the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, right? How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Uh, wherefore, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Right? And so everybody makes the holy apostles, but that's the twelve. Right? So it was revealed to Paul, but the twelve already knew it. That's what people will teach. Uh, well, you have more than just the 12 apostles. You had apostles of the church, such as Silas and Timothy. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, 28. He says, God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret. Right, so these were spiritual gifts given to the church when it was starting out. Right? Uh, and Ephesians 4 explains why they were given. The purpose of these spiritual gifts, the purpose of these apostles, these prophets of the church, 
uh, starting in verse 11 of chapter 4, it says, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole bodily fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, make an increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. All right, so that was the purpose of these apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers of the church. Um, that is not the reason he chose the 12 apostles. Okay, so you got to look at the reason for these apostles here in Ephesians 4, uh, and then let's look at the reason for the 12 apostles. In John 15, 6, Uh, John 15, verse 16. Verse 10, it says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So how do you abide in the love of God here? It's through keeping the commandments. Uh, verse 16, he says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Right, so he gives the reason for why he chose them, so that they could go and bear fruit. Right, and then whatsoever they ask in the Father's name, he may give it you. Right, which is specific to the kingdom, right, and them doing things in the spirit for the kingdom. Look at Matthew 19.28. Another reason for the 12 apostles, if that word 12 is specific, it's specifically 12 for a reason, and this is part of the reason here in verse 28 of Matthew 19, where he says, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So in one, you have apostles and prophets of the church to build it up, right? To have it come into the unity of the doctrine, that it no more be tossed to and fro. And then another, you have to bring forth fruit. And then one day, is going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Right? Two different ministries, right? And so the apostles that Paul talks about in his epistles can't be 12 apostles, because they had a different ministry. Um, look at Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20 be a very familiar verse. Uh, it says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Um, and so we could deal with baptism and how that's not for us, uh, but the teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Right, you go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How do you abide in the love of God? Keep his commandments. Right? Be perfect as I am perfect. Right? Your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. 
Right? These are things that Jesus commanded. Uh, you want eternal life? Go keep the law. You keep the law so everything you have, follow me. Right? These are the things that Jesus commanded. He commanded the law. Right? He taught the law, which we know today we're not under. Right? So this commission isn't for us. Right? It was given to the 12 apostles. It was their commission. John 20, which is also part of this commission that no one talks about, verse 18 through 20, or 20 through 22. It says, When he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. It said, Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. So he gave them the power with the Spirit to remit sins or retain sins. Right? Uh, the apostles of the church did not have that power because Paul taught, you're forgiven through Christ and his blood. Right? And it comes from God. Right? We don't have the power to say who is and who isn't. Right? The apostles had that power uh, because they could test people's motives right? and whether or not they were keeping the law, such as Ananias and Sapphire. Right, Peter said, you're deceiving the Holy Spirit, so you're going to be killed for that. Right, and so you see that in action there. Uh, but James 1.1, 1, 1, he writes to the 12 tribes of Israel. Right, he's not an apostle of the church. He's writing to the 12 tribes of Israel. Revelation 21.14, when the kingdom comes... says the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Right. And so you have the 12 apostles of the Lamb written on the foundations of the kingdom come to earth. Okay, so that was the purpose for the 12 apostles. Right. To judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Right. To sit on the 12 thrones. Right. To minister to Israel uh, to be God's apostles for that ministry. Different than the apostles of the church, the body of Christ, right? Different than Paul, different than Timothy, uh, and those that ministered with him as apostles. Uh, and so we'll end there tonight. Any thoughts or questions?